Welcome to the Super Bowl podcast number one. So the bi-week Super Bowl podcast, and I am really excited about this. We're going to recap what happened in the divisional, excuse me, in the conference championship rounds. I'm here with Maddie Holt, R.J. Bell, with a well-deserved pot off. R.J., a little under the weather, but uh, should be A-OK. And gives Maddie a chance tonight to dive into the details of the conference championship games and look forward to, and we're both super excited about this, prop betting Props are just coming out, so one of the most exciting times here in Vegas. But first, Matty, let's talk about Buffalo, Kansas City, and specifically, let's start with the bet that you made against me, a great bet, where you took Buffalo 30-1 to for $200 to win the NFL, and how you're feeling about it, whether you felt you should have hedged it. Go ahead and give me the details. And I had some other bets on Buffalo as well, so it was a significant investment. And I know last week we talked about not, you know, that hedging is – RJ took a stance maybe that hedging was weak. But imagine you had a financial advisor who said, hey, I bought this stock at $400, and in two weeks one of two things is going to happen. This stock is either going to be worth zero or this stock is going to be worth $16,000. Um, but I have an opportunity now within those two weeks to, hey, now that stock that I bought for $400 is worth $2,200. At some point along the way, you have to make some money on that um, because if you're an all or nothing financial advisor, again, you're, you would so many of your clients would go broke that you probably wouldn't be in business very long. So it's just at some point sound financial strategy. And with the amount of options that are available now, whether it be hedging naturally, uh, you know, uh, companies like PropSwap or just cash out options at the book themselves, depending on their liability, you know, if you shop around, you're, you're going to be able to get a good price. So if for any of those people that may have a big Tampa Bay ticket, because there were times in the season where Tampa Bay did get to some pretty, uh, pretty fairly high odds, despite the fact that they have Tom Brady and were always so popular at the betting windows, I, I would suggest to those people that you think about it. Where do you want to be at the end? And, you know, you made such a good bet to get here, such a sound investment, let's say, and that you should probably ensure that you, you make some profit on that investment. Yeah, it's a great point. And in fact, I wish I had a dollar for every time I had a conversation with some of my betting partners where I would ask them or they'd ask me, well, why'd you bet this? And I said, well, I went ahead and bet Gonzaga minus 28 because I knew it was going to go to 30 and it would be scalpable. And then Gonzaga would win by 25. And my partner would say, well, how much did you scalp it for? It doesn't do you any good to do a line move projection if um, that's the sole reason you're making a bet. I know closing line value, but the point is go ahead and earn off of it. And I think one of the key things with hedging Everyone's all or nothing. They're like, should I hedge my bet? And I think that that's not the question. The question is, how much should I hedge? And maybe you don't hedge. Hedging zero on most bets when they're small and it's not a big exposure, probably right. But um, nothing wrong with taking a little bit off the table. And as an example, when I make a bet like a great bet you made on Buffalo 30 to 1, I'm not looking to be indifferent towards the Bills. But I am looking, and maybe this is partly psychological, I want to just win on my investment. I want to say, you know what? I risked $1,000. 
I'm going to come out of this profitable. I'm going to bet enough along the way so that I make a little bit of money for my time. And you know what? With so many betting options, you talked about prop swap, you talked about you know f- futures having different odds. But even so, you look at over the course of the week, Kansas City, there was a time when they were, the line was two and a half to three. It was a split line. So boom, right there, you're not paying any VIG, essentially, yep. laying the two and a half. Or there was a time also when it was three to three and a half. Now, the naysayers will say, but Fez, you could get, you could get middled. Kansas City could win by one or two, and that's valid. But I'm still saying that I would argue at that point in time you could have laid three with Kansas City, and that was essentially a no-vig bet. It wasn't costing you anything by following the markets and being on top of things. I think the same thing's going to happen if you do have a Tampa Bay future on the money line because one thing we see in Super Bowls, we oftentimes see the money lines come down. The betters like to bet for whatever reason the underdog to win the game outright. Yeah, they're not as correlated as they are during the regular season, to your point. Yes. Yeah, so what will happen is that let's say this game closes a solid three. During the regular season, you'll see it like minus 158, plus 138, okay? And almost always on a Super Bowl, it'll close like minus 152, plus 132. It used to be a bigger disparity, but still, it'll be lower the money line on a Super Bowl than it would any other game. And because of that, the way you're going to get a cheap money line hedge on Kansas City right before they kick off if you do have that Tampa Bay exposure. I do want to circle— I think the Kansas City money line could go under minus 150 by kickoff. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And so because of that, if you do like the Chiefs, I would make the case that probably the best— I think the best price you're going to get— is right before kickoff on the money line where you'll get, like like you said, like a minus 150, and that's superior certainly to laying three, lay minus ten. I do want to briefly circle back to both games. Maybe we can both talk about our impressions on those games. Let's start with the Buffalo-Kansas City. KC does win by 14. Buffalo is unable to stop the Chiefs throughout most of the game. Uh, what were your thoughts on it? What was interesting about the Chiefs during that big run where they kind of, where they failed to cover so many spreads in a row, I think it was nine straight spreads they didn't cover, is in many of those games, the Miami game, that comes to mind as an example, but there were several where they got out to good starts and then just kind of let the opponent back in it. Here, all of a sudden, not only did Buffalo come down and score, I mean, just a field goal to take the lead, but on the very you know, open, very kickoff after the field goal, Kansas City fumbles, Buffalo gets the ball, turns it into a one-yard touchdown. Boy, has Pat Mahomes been good in his career, whether it's the Super Bowl last year, the game against Tennessee in the AFC Championship game. When you come out and punch that young man in the face – He comes out firing, and that is exactly what happened in this game. Buffalo came out, punched Kansas City in the face, took that 9-0 lead, and just like we saw last year's Super Bowl, last year's AFC title game, boy, does he respond to getting punched. Yeah, no doubt. From memory, I think what happened on the first possession, Tyreek Hill dropped a conversion pass, and Kansas City punted. That was their only punt of the game, and then... When it got punted back by Buffalo, they muffed the punt on the four and, uh, like you said, essentially gave the Bills three points to go up 9 nothing. What was interesting in the in-game wagering, so the Bills were a three-point underdog. What would you say in a typical game would a three-point underdog get dealt live if uh, they jumped out to a 9 nothing lead first quarter? So the three-point underdog is now up 9 nothing. I would say the underdog would go to minus 2.5, minus 140. Exactly. The underdog's going to be favored. Favored. He's clearly—because yeah. they're only a three-point dog, and they're up 9. So 
what happened in this game is the it depended where you were shopping, but the live wagering was right around Pickham. Pickham, yeah. And I think that goes to show what you were saying that the the betters. They've seen this movie before with Mahomes and company. You get down, they get down two scores. Heck, they get down four scores. They've come back in the playoffs, so it does show that um, if Kansas City gets behind in the Super Bowl, you're going to pay a premium to back them to win the game versus a normal model. So just be aware of that um, because the markets most certainly are. You know, one thing that stood out to me in both games, and especially the Bills game, the idea of aggression has really become more and more prominent for most NFL teams. But yet what happens now when we go into the playoffs, the coaches get scared, I think. And McDermott, who's a great coach, I think played way too close to the vest. Three times he kicked field goals on fourth and three and fourth and two, two of them in the red zone, down 12. And his rationale was, well, I want to come out with points. But um, I've heard it said um, gosh, I'm trying to think who said this first. Might have been the whale capper, but um, he said, "Don't bring a uh, a field goal kicker to a touchdown fight." You know, yeah. and it really is true that if you're Kansas City, if you bet Kansas City on the money line, what do you want Buffalo to do? Please just keep kicking field goals. That's right. right. Just keep kicking field goals, and that'll reduce the variance of the game. And guess what? I'm only going to lose if there's more variance. So Buffalo should have gone in thinking we're going to go for it as much times as possible. Fake field goals, fake punts, do whatever it takes to uh, have a chance to come out on top. Especially, I think in the second half when it was clear that Kansas City was indeed the better team. Um, that Bills defense maybe. Got away with playing some opponents that weren't so good and got a little bit overrated second half of the year, don't you think? I think Tredavious White was a little bit um, hindered going into this game. He wasn't fully 100%. Look, Pat Mahomes ran the ball, what, one time for eight yards? And it didn't matter. He was so good in the pocket at completing passes. Uh, they just couldn't stay. They, they could not. The, the Buffalo defenders could not stay with the Kansas City receivers. You know, what was, what was really interesting is if you look at the Kansas City rushing it looks fine, because that's because Hardman went for a 50-yard yeah, reverse. that's right. But then you saw Edwards Hilaire, seven yards running. Uh, you saw Mahomes is actually five yards, I think, rushing. So you're, you're, you're right that those were non-factors. And the flexibility of Kansas City, Tyreek Hill, they went ahead and dropped the safeties back. No problem. So they just throw underneath, and he goes for nine for 172 and has this huge game, not the way he traditionally does, like he did in the Super Bowl where Mahomes would go deep, but the flexibility, hey, what has the defense given me? And I will take it. I'll give it to Kelsey. I'll give it to Hill, and I'll just let them do yards after catch. Yeah, Buffalo looked a little starstruck. I mean, once the Kansas City answered with those two quick touchdowns to make it 49 I think Josh Allen, McDermott, everyone had a little bit of that deer in the headlights look. And, and look, that happens to teams that haven't been there before. And uh, I still think Buffalo is going to be really good moving forward, especially with all the pieces they have in place. I just thought this was a coach and Andy Reid, a quarterback and Pat, Pat Mahomes, who have been in this situation so many times, and they responded great. And I think once they responded, Buffalo didn't have a response. And... Again, to your point, they just got nervous in every spot. They got conservative. I think if they could all do it again, they they certainly would have been more aggressive. It's just uh, I, I I think the size of the event and the uh, just sort of overwhelmed them a bit. Yeah, I think the aggression's a lot easier when you've been there before and you've had success. You know, I go back to Nick Saban 
in one of the Clemson championship games, he wins largely because of an onside kick where he recognizes, you know what, no one's going to stop anybody in this game. I need to go ahead and keep the ball. And those are the type of calls it's easy to make when you already have national championships. Yeah. You already have Super Bowl rings. It's hard when you're a coach that's like not been to the Super Bowl. Uh, let's move over to Tampa Bay and Green Bay and talk. Let me start out with aggression there because I think Tampa Bay clearly won. I think a big reason they won is their aggression at the end of halves versus Green Bay. So at the end of the first half, curious situation. It's fourth and three. Tampa Bay has the ball, I believe, on the Green Bay 47. And there's only 12 seconds left, and they, they're they going to punt. And I'm like, what is going on? Tampa, Tampa Bay is winning at this point. So in terms of if I had to set a line, who's going to score next? Pick them. It's what, 14-10 at that point? It's 14-10. Yeah. So the, the, the old school, old fossil coaches would say, you know what? You're an underdog. You have the lead. Take it into halftime. And I'm like, no, you're you're clearly winning at this point. If I had to price this and I said, you know, what line am I going to set on this game? If you punt, obviously, you're just going to go into halftime um, and there's not going to be any scoring. So the rest of the half, I would have said, if Tampa goes for it, I'd make them minus 280, not minus 200. So I'd make them a two-to-one favorite because, yes, they can fail on the fourth down. Yes, Kansas City, uh, I'm sorry, Green Bay can pick up a long gain and kick the field goal. So Certainly. But not likely in 12 seconds that both things happen. They fail, and Green Bay picks enough yards up to then kick the field goal. Right, but I'm going to really simplify this. I'm going to call a fourth and three 50-50. I think okay. that's accurate because sure. you still, you know, you, um, you it's not like the end of the game where the defense can sell out the stop. I think it's a fair it. number. So if I pick up the first down, I'm probably going to pick up, a, on average, maybe 10 yards. All right? So if I pick it up, I'm going to be on the 39-yard line. If I don't pick it up, you're going to be on the wrong side of midfield. So clearly my field position is so much better. With like seven seconds. Yeah, for, for either one of us. So what happens is that my field position is going to be better than your field position, and we both have the same uh, probability of being there. Clearly I'm winning. I'm in a better better shape, and so I should go ahead and go for it. And at least you, at the very least you should try to draw your opponent off sides, which teams have gotten very good at doing. But Tampa Bay goes for it. They pick up the first down. Six seconds left, then there's eight seconds left. And this was fascinating because the media kept saying, oh, my God, Green Bay, they're like they're like the Jets against the Raiders with Greg Williams where they gave up this long touchdown, and this is terrible. And I think it's totally unfair. In the Jets game, the, um, the Raiders needed a touchdown. It was the end of the game. That's all that mattered. You had to protect against the touchdown. This was a complicated animal because I can tell you what I call in that Play. I go ahead and pretend to run a Hail Mary. I put all my wide receivers to the left, and then I curl one of them back or I throw to the right and pick up my seven yards. Ha ha. Get out of bounds and kick a field. Goal. I got my three points because you were too dumb as a defense to know I'm going to do this. So I kind of give Green Bay some credit that they did go ahead and recognize wait, I can't give up this out pattern. But of course, you can give up the long pass. You know, the 25-yard pass in the middle of the field, you have to protect the end zone on your coverage. And kudos to Brady. Brady just got it done. He read the coverage. Little Scotty Miller, who apparently— Little Scotty Miller. Apparently, for those who haven't listened, I made a bet with RJ. I took Scotty Miller when Antonio Brown joined the team that Scotty Miller would have more— I backed, yeah. —more catches (laughs) the rest of the year, minus 150. And uh, to say that that was one of the worst wagers in the history— of straight out of Vegas, it's right up there. It's top five because Antonio Brown got like 60 and Scotty Miller got like, I don't know, 10, something around there. It wasn't good, yeah. wasn't good, but apparently he says he's faster than Tyreek Hill now, despite Tyreek Hill having a 40 time on his pro day that was like a tenth of a second faster, uh, and apparently a tenth of a second 
there was a show. What was the, sh- the TV show um, where doesn't matter, but the the, the 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 running back comes in and says, I run a 4-4, and the other guy a 4-3. They're comparable. And the coach shows them the, what the difference is on tape, and it's like the difference between throwing a bullet and shooting it, you know, in terms of— I think of, that was wow. in Any Given Sunday. I remember that scene. Yeah, so it's like yeah. that tenth of a second's pretty darn important, as we saw when Tyreek Hill was catching all these balls underneath and going for it. So Tampa Bay, ultra-aggressive. They get seven points at the end of the half. They win by five. I could make the case that one decision— won them the game. I did want to mention Tom Brady. Threw three picks. Looks bad. I don't think it was that bad because one of them was bad. He threw the second one. Mike Evans could have caught the ball, got both hands on it. Brady overthrew him, but it wasn't a horrible overthrow. Unlucky. Third interception, third and long. Blitz didn't get picked up right. Brady just threw a um, a one-on-one ball up to Mike Evans who didn't recognize what was happening and didn't look for the ball. So normally I would throw you know, three interceptions looks horrible in the second half. I only think one should be docked against Brady. It seems like the team felt the same way and was unified. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think if you take the New Orleans game into account that he should have had three in that game, two were called interceptions on the field, and they were his fault. Mm. They were bad throws. So if you say, that, look, overall Brady should have averaged three uh, three picks per game, I'm fine with that because he got away with three, and he just, he th- you know, he threw three the last game where he probably shouldn't have, but he also didn't have any against the Saints, and he probably should have had three. So overall, I do think part of being aggressive with Tom Brady means that sometimes when he gets pressure on him, he's going to throw balls that are going to be 50-50s. Yeah, and I think he's really good also at not worrying about the stats. And I know McKenzie has spoken about arm punts, where essentially you just throw the ball down the yeah. field on third down, and who cares if it gets picked off? It's just, it it nets out you know plus thirty five, the same as a punt. In fact, by the way, this was one of my my sneaky fourth and and thirty yard plays. If you're hopelessly behind, Matty, is um, I have my punter throw up a really high duck actually throw the ball and let the other team do fair catch it and the guy catches it and then my team blasts him because you can't fair catch an interception <laughs> being unaware that it's a, a pass and not a punt but um, and you don't think he'll be aware of it the punt I don't return. see how he could you know that he's back there and I don't think he would be aware you don't think he sees whether that guy kicks or throws mm, that's a good question with all those with all the big uglies in between and, maybe not and he's five eight I don't I'd see I'd like how he to could. know yeah I'm curious now. Can you imagine or fair catches it and then just tosses it to the <laughs> official and it's a lie? I think it has- it's, it's a little evil of you, the fact that in your trick play, the punt returner has to get destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my number two trick play, I don't even know if this is legal, well, uh, and I'll do this real quickly, is you're on your own 30, last play of the game. Instead of all these laterals, you throw it to your backup quarterback 20 yards down the field and he catches it standing on one foot. And he's obviously all alone because everyone's 50 yards back. And then he waits a second half, and then on one foot he throws it into the end zone. Why does catching it on one foot? Because he doesn't. it isn't a catch. He is not possessing the ball. That is not a catch. But he still can't throw a Why not? forward pass there. Why not? Because he's not, in front of the line of scrimmage. It's not a, com- it's not a completion. How can he? I know, but nobody could throw the ball past the line of scrimmage well, they- forward. But it's not a completion. The ball's just like a deflection. I know, but no player on the team, once you pass the line of scrimmage, can throw a forward pass. But, how can, but he's not throwing a pass because he doesn't have possession of the ball. It's a deflection. 
Oh, geez. Until a second foot comes down, it's a deflection. Oh, boy. That one's right? getting thick there. Tell the backup quarterback to go be ballerina, ballerina Bob. On All right. It's, ti- it's time to move on. So we've gotten our recap of what we felt. By the way, I on my power ratings, I upgraded Tampa by half a point, lowered Green Bay by half a point. Your thoughts on that? Would you agree, disagree? Yeah, that seems that seems about right, really. Buffalo, I lowered half a point. Kansas City, I raised one full point, having effectively flipped the switch. We were questioning whether they could do that. And I, and I actually don't think that Buffalo, you know, looked terrible or played terrible. I just thought they they got a little overwhelmed by the moment. Very good. Let's move on here. I'm here with Maddie Holt, president, CEO, and founder of U.S. Integrity. Keeps us all safe and for any betting irregularities. And the goal, of course, is to spot those and prevent them and keep everything on the up and up. And I might add, I might ask, Maddie, now that like more and more states are opening up, this becomes a bigger and bigger issue, right? With um, uh, more, more states looking to make sure that obviously any games that are domiciled in their state, you know, are abs- absolutely on the up and up, right? Yeah, and the only, I mean, I think the reason that we've been so successful is a real game integrity, fraud prevention, sports betting compliance takes buy-in from all three sides of the stakeholders. That's the teams, leagues, universities on one side, the regulators in the middle, and the operators on the other side. And we've been able to build a platform and a network um, that allows all three sides to work together. And that's truly when you accomplish things in the space. Very good. Thanks for keeping us safe. And we're going to move on towards, you know, it's an exciting day here because the first week of, of the Super Bowl two weeks is when the props come out. So they come out Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I thought I'd speak a little bit about Super Bowl history and of the props. And everyone remembers back in 1986, we are the Bears shuffling crew, shuffling around, doing it for you. And um the, uh, some really bad dancing by some of the Bears. But um, the Super Bowl shuffle, that was huge. And the refrigerator shuffled into the end zone. Some books offered as much as 100 to 1. Will Refrigerator Perry score a touchdown? Came all the way down to like 10 to 1. Vegas got killed on that prop bet. Made it back, though, with reputation about prop betting. Fast forward about 10 years. And the Imperial Palace, right at the heart of the Vegas Strip, but a really small sports book made a name for themselves, Jay Cornegay and his crew, pricing all these props, coming up with unique props, hundreds of them, and they did more business than Caesars Palace across the street um, on the prop betting that has continued on to the Westgate and, frankly, at a whole bunch of other properties as well. And as a bookmaker, Maddie, you love when you're at, at, at Cantor, and most bookmakers now were reluctant to embrace this, but now they love those props, right? Oh, absolutely. And I don't, I think at most books now, if you went and asked every single bookmaker or operator, hey, how, what percentage of your handle was props? What was bet on the actual game? You know, the three main markets, money line, total spread. I think they would probably say it's about 60, 40 props. That's how prominent the props have become. There's not only more money bet on the props than the game itself. It's starting to become the overwhelming amount of the majority of your money is bet on the props. And it's nice having a diversified portfolio. Yes. Because now instead, what happens if this game lands three? Let's assume that there was only betting on the side, nothing else. How would the books do if um, Kansas City won by three? Oh, they get crushed. They would just get absolutely crushed the amount of refunds and then paying the Tampa Bay three and a halfs and 
uh, those things are devastating. And uh, there's some books, too, that are going to lose to Tampa. So, I mean, imagine if Tampa won this game. That's going to be a net loss. Those things are really tough for the books. Props are what makes the Super Bowl so special for the sports books. Yeah, and what the sports books can do with the props, if they have just too much exposure, especially, let's say you're a book like the South Point that doesn't deal uh, any vigorous on your spread. So assume this line goes up a little bit and goes to 3.25. The poor South Point is going to be a three, then they're going to be a three and a half, then they're going to be a three, then they're going to be a three and a half because they're taking all these limit bets, minus three and plus three and a half. They're going to get sided if it lands three. But one thing they can do with prop bets, well, there's a prop. Will Will a team win by exactly three? Will Kansas City win by exactly three? Well, that's obviously a prop that they can put up, and the pros would be more than happy to bet no Will Kansas City win by three minus 900? And they can write a whole lot of action to basically negate the risk of being cited by making, you know, these these no bridge jumper betters um, make it attractive enough, you know, to play. And then you've got all these other props that you're just earning on. And so over the course of a game, you're going to do quite well. Another clever thing the books have done is they'll put out ties, lose parlay cards. And the beauty of the tie is lose parlay card is you make the spread three. So if it does land three and you get sided on the game, you have a hundred percent earn on anybody that played the spread on the game yeah. with the minus three or plus three. So that's another way, clever way to you know mitigate your risk as a bookmaker. Bookmakers have a lot of edges against the unsuspecting public, don't you think? Yeah, they do. Um, and, and the futures market normally is also one. In this case, I think Tampa is a, a loser probably for a lot of sports books. But I, I've talked to a lot of operators who say, hey, Kansas City was our best case scenario. Them winning, being the overwhelming favorite over year doesn't attract a lot of action from the novice betters because they don't want four to one or three to one. They want 10 to one or better. So there's a lot of books who say, hey, Kansas City was actually one of our best results, all if not our best, in the futures market. So the favorite in the Super Bowl also ends up being your best result in a very liquid NFL futures market. Yeah, great point, because Kansas City, although they were 6-1 to one right before the season started, fast enough, those 6-1s to ones turned into 2-1s. to ones. Yeah, As soon as they beat Baltimore on Monday night. Exactly, and so that put the uh, that, that turned the spigot off on any Kansas City futures bets, and in the meantime, over the course of a season, you have, you have the fluctuations of the Tampa Bays that with Jameis Winston started. Pittsburgh, a lot of Pittsburgh yeah. in the middle of the year. So it's, And, you know, Tampa at 80-1, to one, then, then TB comes aboard, they do well, but then they go ahead and get their fifth loss, and boom, they're back to 15, 20 to 1, and here comes a second freight train of cash on Tampa Bay. Yep. You know, so, so you've got that liability. Um, you know, team's fortune's changing. The Ravens suddenly, you know, coming on, and then, you know, books taking bets on them after they had lost five games. So uh, we're not going to cry for the bookmakers in the futures pools. But one thing, you know, some books may be overloaded with Tampa Bay futures, and because of that, another reason you might see a cheap Kansas City money line. Yeah. Uh, depending upon what, and it makes sense for them to do that to look at their overall risk uh, in terms of you know this being the last game of the year. I talk about how good the props are for the bookmakers. I know RJ, I believe, agrees with me that I have forecasted the books in aggregate will not lose in another Super Bowl. They've lost two, I believe, of the last twenty-six years, and I don't think they'll lose another one because there's just too many. I don't think so in my lifetime. To your point, there will be, if you just consider every prop a wagering event, and most of the time in a lot of these books that are offering props on, you know, all these hundreds of props on this game, if they offer props on the normal NFL games, it's 20 or less. 
So there's literally going to be as many markets offered on this one game as some books offer the entire year on NFL. Imagine having another NFL season in a day. And that's kind of what they're facing here in terms of the pure volume of markets, which, by the way, they're all a five, you know, at least a 5% hold at minus 110, minus 110. Maybe the coin toss has reduced VIG. But imagine having another 500 markets. Um, and, and a bunch of those will have a much higher vigorish because they'll be future style bets with lots of different outcomes. <laughs> you know, and one, one bookmaker, I thought that this was funny in his book, Chris Andrews once said he booked the coin toss minus a dollar 20 in each direction, because he says, if you're going to be dumb enough to bet the coin toss, then <laughs> I'm going to charge you double the vig. Although, um, you know, RJ has done some research on these coins and, the idea is the commemorative coin, the head side is heavier, and thus it should land face down. So if you are going to bet the coin toss, consider tails because of that. Uh, I'm curious, Mackenzie's listening. What do you think about that logic, Mackenzie? What would you price the Novig on the coin toss heads tails? Tails should be favored. I got the numbers right here in front of me. 29 tails, 25 heads, Super Bowl history. That's like a pro better. That's almost 55%. We're, we're taking the rubber band off on tails, aren't we? Uh, can I have heads plus a dollar ten against you? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, can I please have heads at any plus money? I'll I'll, t I'll take tails minus one hundred one. I think there's some validity to it. Three I and one, the last four. Go figure. Oh, I thought three and one. Will you give me plus one hundred one? <laughs> oh, I'll give you plus one hundred one. Okay. Uh, well, it sounds I'll like what? Well, where's hundo. the button? Yeah, I'll take it for a hundo. Yes. Mark it down, not? Mackenzie. Really, at the end Got of it. the day, I'm not sure the validity of that. Because I think if there was a real discrepancy in coins that was significant enough, then there's, I mean, let's face it, the Super Bowl is also the one event in my world where inside information is the most prevalent and everyone tends to ignore it because they're all making so much money and they're so happy, they're fine ignoring issues that during the regular season we would certainly raise to much higher levels. Like, I see people on Twitter. I think we've tracked 11 people this week on Twitter already who said, I can't wait to get the exact time of the national anthem just like we got last year. Isn't inside info great? <laughs> and again, at the end of the day, we it's our job that we have to make the operators and the regulators aware that this is happening. And hey, just it seems silly to say be you know be aware of any bets taken on that but it's a market where people say they have inside info every year and you know it's difficult too with something like the national anthem and even the color of the Gatorade i know there was a year is it gray is it purple is it clear because a lot of the Gatorade had melted and it looked clear but apparently it was purple and i know same thing with the distance of the national anthem and the home of the free. <laughs> and it's, there's no, you know, they, they don't tell you on any site, right? At least, Mackenzie, correct me if I'm wrong. There's no, like, ESPN that the national anthem was 159.08, right? Exactly right. And Mary J. Blige kind of reiterated, by the way, it's the home of the brave. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but yeah. Man, Fez, it's a national anthem. <laughs> I did that on purpose to see you guys were paying attention. But Come you're on. right. Mary J. Blige repeated Brave right at the end, so they had to pay out both sides over and under last year. Oh, man. There you I go. I don't like doing that. And and same thing, do you omit a word and someone kind of stutters and the like, and did they say that word? Did they not say that word? So, 
you got to be careful with these props, but it certainly makes sense that inside information is out there. People are at the rehearsal, and if you see money coming in on the over or the under at a sharp book, it's not unusual that a stale book will have that same number. And I would say it's rarely wrong to bet rarely the movement. Wrong, yes. Very rarely wrong. So on those predetermined events, the problem is the the practices for these performances. I mean, they practice them so many times to the point where I've heard people that actually track this say. You know, they'll rehearse it seven, eight, nine times. And, oh, by the way, eight of the nine times, they end it exactly the same mm. second. They are right there in terms of how long it takes. And now they know. All right. So all this prop betting, for the most part, is good for the books. They're going to win every year. Yep. But I, I would argue it's really good for the pro bettors as well. And the reason being, it's hard to price these props. It's hard to get them all right. And so every year... Uh, the, some of the best bets that I personally make are prop bets. Would you agree? Yes. If you make 600 props or 500, just for easy math, even if you'd only get five wrong. So, hey, 99% of my you know numbers were right. That means you had five wrong. And the, the bettors don't have to bet every prop. The odds makers have to put odds on every prop they put out. The bettors only have to pick and find the ones that are off. Look, everyone would say 99% you're amazing. Well, that still means I have five plus EV bets against you. That's that's a, it's a big opportunity for the pro bettors. But what we see, and we already saw it today, I saw some big line moves, is the sharps just line up now. It's like sharks in a water full of wounded fish, and they cannot wait to hammer those off numbers. No, no doubt about it. In fact, we used to joke that on some of the books locally, that we're putting up some unique props, the win, uh, the station casinos, MGM. It's like, wow, I got to be there first because, like you said, you know, they're they're looking for the weak water buffalo that's going to get slaughtered, and then you walk up and you're and you're like, you can't believe that the line that they hung, but it's always been corrected immediately, immediately, unless you were the first one, you know, in line. So if the books are going to win and the sharps are going to win, seems inconsistent, but where the where it is consistent is that there aren't that many pro bettors and sharp bettors and everybody bets the Super Bowl. So you just have all the people coming in from California and all the recreational bettors that might bet $100 on a typical football game betting a couple thou on the Super Bowl and all that volume. They want action on everything. And it's not necessarily a a dumb thing because it's fun, it's recreational, but all that money comes in and it's like the rising tide that raises the boats of both the books and the pro bettors. And I'll tell you what we did one year at Cantor, and this is something I've seen other books do, is if you come up with some ridiculous props, like if you put a prop out that said, um, you know, will the coin toss fly away or will it hit a helicopter or will it land exactly on its edge and not land on heads or tails and made it 100,000 to one, even though it's it's impossible that the coin flies away and it's not going to hit a people will bet it. So you could put props up there that are basically dead money and there will be plenty of action on them. You know, I remember once there was a prop at a book called Millennium and they said, will there be two onside kicks recovered by the kicking team? And it's like, well, it's kind of like, this would be the greatest upset in the history of prop world, but you only had to like lay a hundred to make a dollar. And I'm sorry, you only had to lay, I think like 40 to win a dollar. And 
the dilemma we had is, well, we had so many other good bets, but but this literally was free money. You're literally getting a two and a half percent rate of return for twelve hours of work. Yeah. But the problem is, you're already all in on your account with other stuff that was, you know, better than that in terms of ROI, even though that had a hundred percent chance of winning. So yeah, that's a, a dilemma in terms of almost all the pro betters I know, they're dead broke right before the game kicks off, and they'll be like, like I got a friend, he'll 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 say to me, he'll be like, well. Maybe I got fifty thousand left, you know, with an hour before kickoff. Okay, I'll go throw it on no overtime, you know, risk it, you know, yeah. to win five thousand because that's always good, you know. If I do have any money left over at that point in time, by the way, only one overtime in the history of the NFL, the Atlanta, New England Super Bowl. So you've done quite well risking ten to win a dollar. And there were times you only had to I'll tell you where you're not doing quite well is risking similar odds on will there be a safety. Yeah, the safety, the the math says 6% of all NFL games have safeties. However, I think you can make a strong case at the Super Bowl because of the all of the pressure and everything else that safeties will be more prevalent. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Not to mention typically better Nerves, coaches, aggression. more clever coaches that might take a safety more likely at the end game, especially about six. And then early in the game, nerves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little bit about. Let me talk about the coin flip because everyone bets heads or tails, and just you know, point. What about ten? That you want ten thousand to one that it hits a helicopter or lands uh, on its side. <laughs> I need tw- I need twenty thousand for the helicopter. Um, do I get comp credit for for yeah. that? Yeah. Um, no, it's the other. Yeah, the 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 other way around. Make it twenty. Make, make, bet a hundred thousand to win a dollar. Yeah. You know that it won't happen and get hundred thousand in comp credit. Uh, it used to be that some coaches in the NFL would go ahead and take the ball when they won the coin toss. So I know guys that, that just had the big database of all the NFL teams in terms of— But that of, doesn't really happen anymore, right? Doesn't everybody— Everybody defers. Yeah, I don't yeah. know that anyone that doesn't. Yeah, so the entire NFL defers now. Maybe if there's a weather system moving and there might be an exception to the rule that they'll go ahead and take the ball if the, it's going to be bad weather in the third quarter. But that's so rare. Yeah. And what's interesting is that— no announcers has gotten that memo yet. So after every coin toss, and it'll probably happen again this Super Bowl, they'll be like, interesting that Kansas City has chosen to defer. And it's like, they all defer, <laughs> yeah. dummy. It's like, yes. where have you been the past three years? They it's don't been... even offer that property more, I don't think. They Will don't. They, they yeah. don't. Yeah. So they're, um, you know, one thing for those who um, want to be creative and a little bit shady in their betting, um, it's the Super Bowl. And so Super Bowl, oftentimes the props and the like get pulled off. Not right at kickoff, but a little bit before kickoff, but after the coin toss. So you can oftentimes get some nice bets on first quarter bets, third quarter bets, who's going to score first, who's going to punt first. Well, if you know who gets the ball, that's a pretty big edge. And sometimes you get about five, ten seconds to pop those bets in after the coin flip for those. You, you better be fast and you better be ready if you're going to do that. Exactly. So, And um, I certainly would never recommend to people that they try to take advantage of regulated operators. And you are taking advantage of them, and you run the risk of getting barred after making a wager like that here in Vegas. And if you're betting in offshore markets, you run the risk of them uh, Not go, paying. Of them past posting you and saying, if your bet should lose on who punts first, they're like, no, we shouldn't have accepted that. That was a bad line. And if you lose, then sorry, you lost. Yeah. So so be careful with um, with what you do. But I'm just I'm just putting it out there. You know, people can make informed decisions. Let's talk props, strategy, bets we want to make, bets we don't want to make. What bets do you avoid, Matty? To your point earlier, and I, and I – I 
think that you hit it on the head is what most novices won't understand is the amount of vig that could be hidden within these bets that have lots of options. So player to score first touchdown and they list out 30 guys in a field and you think, whoa, you know, it's no different than any other bet with all this vig. And, you, you know, a lot of people are betting small to win a lot there. But if you actually plugged him into a sports futures calculator, and basically if you just Google sports futures calculator, there's plenty of sites that have one. You can actually plug all the options in from any of these multi-way bets and see what the actual VIG is that the house is holding. Some of these books will literally hold 50 and 60% theoretical holds on some of these markets. Yeah, and I first got introduced to that in a Denver-San Francisco Super Bowl, and I think San Fran was like minus 13 in this game, and San Fran scored first. And one of the guys next to me at Caesars Palace held up a ticket, and on it, first player to score a touchdown, Sammy Winder. I still remember, 5-1 to one on Sammy Winder. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I blew, I blew a buck on Sammy. And I was thinking to myself, 5-1, to one? you know, it's like, should, is that for the entire team? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously that'd be too high, but you get the idea yeah. that his true odds probably were like more like 12-1 to one at least. So uh, it just shows how bad those, I call them needle in the haystack bets. Um, other examples are, will Mahomes throw for 200 to 210? 211 yeah. to 220, 221 to 230. Hey, you can be right in your forecast, and you're still, it's almost it's like a roulette a wheel bet. tracking yeah. that you can, like, if you identify the right part of the wheel, well, you're probably break even. And if not, you know, you just have a horrendous bet. So I would look to avoid those bets at all costs. However, there's times books make a mistake. Probably the most, uh, let me tell a story here. The one time that I, I hit a big long shot was the Steelers Seattle Super Bowl. And the, what happened is they put up one with the first touchdown occur, and they had the zero to two minutes, the two to four minutes, all the way up to the final two minutes of the game. But they didn't do the final two minutes of the game. What they did is they said 26 to 28 minutes, and somebody at Caesars Palace forgot that an NFL football game has 60 minutes, not 30. So the last item they offered was 28 minutes or after. Oh, wow. So basically it was like, will there be a touchdown scored in the first 28 minutes? I'm like, well, probably but it was 100 to 1. So I, I, re I still remember I went to bet it, asked for 900, because I was trying to think, well, what, what could I bet that they're going to approve or will fly under the radar enough and they'll take? And they looked at me, they looked at my rating, my player card, whatever. They gave me 100, all right? But what was interesting about this is that at the time I had a friend in Reno, and after I got my, hundred, my crummy $100 bet, I said, you know what, see what they'll take up in Reno, and he got 1,000. Wow. So it shows kind of like player profiling or just having a good act. The guy that did this, uh, he had he had a really good act. Um, and so he was able to get down, you know, for a thousand on on that prop, which ultimately won when Jerome Bettis didn't quite score as the two minute warning, you know, did approach. So I don't want to dismiss it. There's mistakes that can be made. You know, with the mistakes are different or misprices are different than uh, just the actual market itself and how much vigorous they have attached. Yes, and, and what you're going to find over the course of the next 10 days is you're going to see all these media experts making their picks, and they're going to have a lot of these yeah. player to score first. Uh, what's the exact margin of victory going to be? And all these bets are just, like, so bad 
that, yeah, you might find a mistake at one select book, but in terms of a widely available number, I'll go out, out on a limb that you're never going to find any bets that are any good you know, on those. Agreed. At the end of the day, you're, you're going to want to go against the book in the 5% or, or better hold markets. Uh, yes, no's, over, under, uh, player versus player, uh, and those are team versus team, and those are your, where you're going to tend to do a lot better. Let's talk about that player over-unders. So two years ago, RJ, for his best bet in the Super Bowl, talked about Gurley and how he wasn't on the injury report, but something was clearly wrong with Gurley throughout the playoffs, and he was shocked that Gurley's number was 65. And it goes back to, if you can find something that's fundamentally has changed about a player in the playoffs versus what they were during the course of the season, there um, I think there's really good value to go ahead and take advantage of it because the bookmakers are going to look at the season-long averages, and they don't want to get too far away from those. No. So that was an example where RJ had a great bet on Gurley under. Uh, last year, I had a, re- a really good bet, I felt, on Mahomes over 29 rush yards, and uh, Mahomes had 44 with two minutes to play in the game. He landed 29, so that was one of my bad beats, epic bad beats with three straight kneel downs. The most wagered on bet of the Super Bowl last year in terms of handle was Pat Mahomes rushing yards over, number one. Yeah, so the books basically paid out. I I know it opened 28 and a half at a couple places. Huge swing. So of two winners, for most books, it was like they one winner, one push, and about 200 losers for them. So I'm sure they got some action back. You know, at 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 the end, the other way, but yeah, um, they're under thirty four and a half. Yeah, stuff, af- yeah, after it steams up, and I know, you know, we talk about prop betting, and uh, I've been, I've been known not to be complimentary enough of some uh, other handicappers, but I got to tell you, you know, here at pregame, one of our absolute best handicappers, and certainly just a world class um, prop better, is of course Tommy the Hitman. And the Hitman has done really Is that how he got his nickname? Because his first name's Tommy? Yes. That makes sense. It's, I always wondered. It's not because all I ever heard is RJ call him the translucent one. And I wondered how the translucent one became the hitman. Well, you will not. But fe- Tommy, that explains it. You will not fear the translucent one if you run into him in a dark alley in a bad part of town. So that's not how he got his hitman. I think it's because he hits winners on all his props. And I, I could only give my highest recommendation for the hitman, especially for uh, anything that has a prop package with the NFL. And eh, good news, the Hitman has a free best bet. You know what, Mackenzie, let's go ahead and queue up that best bet right now. Best bet, Tyreek Hill, over 87.5 receiving yards. I like it all the way up to 92.5. In high leverage situations, Tyreek Hill's target share increases, and he's responded by having 105, 110, and 172 receiving yards in his last three playoff games. Hill had 269 receiving yards the first time these teams matched up. And I expect Kansas City to be super pass-heavy again against a Bucks pass-funnel defense that's going to all but eliminate the run game of the Chiefs. I bet this big, and part of the reason that I'm putting it out now is that once the public gets involved, I think we see this number close in the mid-90s, maybe even the high-90s. Best bet, Tyreek Hill, over 87.5 receiving yards. That's Tommy the Hitman. I text him more and more often as I move forward. Really great asset for pregame and for um, anyone to to partner up with. So um, we're going to focus on these yes nos, these over unders, the and, and the like. And even you know one thing that people don't talk about 
look for things that are going to be a good story that people probably are going to bet. So what's a good story? Well, on a high total game, team totals, players love betting over. So it's very rare I ever bet a Super Bowl under because I can get at it a different way, either through you know first half team total under, a game team total under, uh, player props. You know who are they going to bet in Kansas City? They're going to bet that uh, Tyreek Hill is going to go over. They're going to bet that Kelsey is going to go yeah. over. And you know what? Beat the public to the punch. If you're going to play those, play those early before everybody else bets them, and they inflate 12, 15 yards. I'm not saying all of them will. But um, good the popular players will. Mahomes and then you have over. to look for narratives of guy who anytime there's any injury talk because everyone's looking for anyone who might be injured. It's the same thing. Um, you get the narrative that oh this guy could be hurt, so thus we have to under. Well, you'll see the unders plummet. Well, hit that. You have to hit that under fast. Or if you think the news is is fake news, then just wait. You know that was and that was what was fascinating about about Gurley because he opened like seventy. And he got bet all the way down to 60. I'm like, oh, this is so sharp. This is good. And then he leaked back up to 65. And I think what happened there was you had the the universe. You had two universes. You had the he's hurt universe. And you had the but he's a big star. And and people believe McVeigh when they're like, oh, we're going to use it. We underused used him. We're going to use him more. Well, since 2015, you have the fantasy guys participating more and more. So for the fantasy guys from – Truth, you know, I mean, daily fantasy just has taken off, and let's call it since 2014. But they still couldn't bet on sports regularly. They were only able to take advantage of everything they did when the playoffs hit, and especially in the Super Bowl. So what you'd see is an influx of people betting player props that normally bet fantasy in those games. Now you can bet player props every single week on every single game. So, you know, they don't necessarily have to bet more in the Super Bowl, but they would. But I'd say 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, especially um, the amount of fantasy guys entering the player prop market. And they're just like usage rates. And they have all these stats that say what it should be. And Gurley's usage rate, even though he had a messed up playoffs that year, a lot of the fantasy guys actually liked him over. While a lot of the sharps said, hey, something's wrong. We like him under. But at the end of the day, everyone still agreed that he didn't actually have a injury worse than he had had at any playoff game. It's just something that lingered for weeks, mm-hmm. and it just never got better. You know, it's interesting about the decision to play in fantasy football, you know, and get that, you know, that big payout, you know, in the tournaments, the daily fantasy versus just betting individual players. It's really hard to, you, you almost need the perfect lineup to have the big payday. Yes. Um, and everyone wants to bet a little to win a lot. But uh, the bottom line is your competition so strong that you, you invariably you have situations you can't submit a lineup until right before the deadline because you've got teams like Tampa Bay. You know, who knows? Ronald Jones, yeah. what? He had COVID. He had a broken finger. He had a quad. Yeah, yeah that's right. Did I leave anything quad. else to McKenzie? The dude was just injured. He's always injured. And so if he's not able to go, well, Leonard Fournette is your man, you know? But uh, if Ronald Jones can suddenly come back healthy, now all of a sudden Fournette's, you know, usage is going to go way down. And like being able to wait to the last minute, I used to, I knew some sharp guys that would play in these, you know, daily fantasy. And they say, I submitted my lineup, you know, this morning, like two hours before post. And it's like, how can you possibly ever right. win? And they're like, they're like, oh, I checked. My players are going to play. And it's like, who cares about your players? What about all these other players that, like, well, Devin Singletary is now suddenly the lead back because Moss is out and your all your competition has a leg up on you with all that going on. But obviously, 
Those and there's no advantage ever to submitting early. Like, why would you ever submit early? Here's the advantage to submitting early. You don't get, and it's true for contests also. You don't like get shut out when you submit two minutes after the. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I tell you, every contest player, I, I want to ask you about this. That's my fear. Like, if I enter too many contests, like <laughs> one of our one of our local broadcasters said, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny because it's such a small buy-in, but he entered. The uh, one of the station contests, twenty five dollars each, yeah. and he just forgot. And I can relate because it would be like I would forget, you know. It'd be like, and, and in, in fact, I'm embarrassed. I want to tell this story. Um, in fact, I'll let Mackenzie tell the story in the super contest this year, which I did win twice, as you know. Um, I actually cash this year, so I finished sixty oh, ninth. I got oh, like nine hundred dollars. Mackenzie, what went on with my um, my final week uh, picks at, uh, on the super contest? Well, you texted me. You said, you know, I'm out of the money, got no real shot. But, hey, you know, I know you're going to be down there anyway at the Westgate. So just, you know, throw these picks in if you can. You know, no worries if you can't. Lo and behold, would you go 5-0? and oh? Only 4-1. and one. So I'm, I'm, like, publicly embarrassed. I'm the only guy that cashed that had no idea. So I get this email from the Westgate. I'm like, oh, God, they're mad at me for, like, playing this correlated parlay or something. And, nope, they're like, come on by. We owe you $900, and I'm like, news to me, because I knew I was, the middle of the year, I was scuffling along, having a bad patch, and hurt, hurt the, uh, our gold, you know, um, contest as well, when, when that slumped, and, you know, I, but I started really strong, and I finished really strong, and so ultimately, I got into the money, so... Wait, Fez, I just thought of something. Hmm. So you're about, you would say that you're 50-50 to submit those picks, right, at week 17? Could go either way. Yes. So it was my prerogative, my decision to submit those picks that earned you $900. So you could argue I kind of am entitled to $450. That's just my <laughs> that's, that's how I see it. I, I fully expect I'll make more for, for you than that with what we're going to do with the Super Bowl betting. Oh, yeah, that's what I like to hear. There you go. It's it 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 is it is on my. In fact, Mackenzie and I did some stuff for the Super Bowl last year, and I won't get into it. But at the end, I was like, I was like, I, I promised him some re- ridiculous percentages on some stuff, and and he's like, but Fez, you said we're gonna win this. I'd get this percentage. I'm like, yes, I did. And, and what did I do, Mackenzie? You gave me ample amount after a tremendous Super Bowl win for us. I wouldn't say tremendous, but it was it was it was really. Good. <laughs> so let's move on. Let's move on. So. Uh, See what? Hmm, what else should we cover? The you know I want to ask you, how many bets are you gonna have on the Super Bowl? Do you think, Batty? Total, including in play and everything. Yeah. Uh, thirty maybe. Yeah, and that echoes what I hear. You know, most pros come up with a number between ten and a hundred. That I yeah. that I and it's part of it's hard because you might well like on game day you play Mahomes. Over yeah, two ninety and under three oh five. Like you'll play a middle. That's too yeah. low. His number's higher. Um, what is you know? Let's look up. What is Mahomes's? He's at three twenty five for the yeah. Super Bowl. Yeah, it's, you know it's interesting. He's three twenty five for the Super Bowl, and he went for exactly three twenty five in his last game. So, um, what of, about your favorite prop? Shortest uh, touchdown one and under one and a half yards, but a good number under in this one. Yeah, so yeah, Shores touchdown under one and a half, and I saw the VIG on the under is like minus, I saw minus 155. Is that what you're seeing out there? No, I'm seeing 140s and 135s. Oh, that, yeah, that that ship has sailed, yeah. unfortunately, at the South Point. I, you know, it's funny because I, I, I looked at, at that prop. I said, I'm going to play that at minus 150. And South Point opened at minus 140, and I was there yesterday, and I'm like, oh, that won't have moved. 
and it had. So it shows it shows the difference with the South Point because I've been betting the South Point props throughout the playoffs, and I can tell you, I feel like I'm the only one that's betting early because I've gone up there and made like six wages. Yeah, not on these. But yeah. but it's a whole different animal where the teams are are out scouring like the Coyotes for the Rabbits and the uh, you know looking for those um, numbers that they know are off. So that got hit already. But the one that I played, uh, will there be a roughing the passer? Oh, hold that, call? hold that at the end of the podcast. But it moved big. At the uh, oh, but, but but are you gonna have another uh, best bet at the end of the podcast? I should stick that one, I guess. We're gonna stick with that one. We're gonna hold that to the end of the podcast. Um, do we? You know, I wanted to ask Mackenzie. Do we have a uh, best bet from Essler or any of the other pregame pros other than the Hitman? No, we do not. All right. So, but ben, Maddie and I do have best bets coming up. Maddie's gonna have about thirty bets. You know, we should like go ahead and put her. Send to each, to each other what our final portfolios sure. yeah. look, and I don't. I never know what to count because, like, I did get a piece of a little bit of Kansas City to start the year at at, at plus six fifty, and I bet some AFC minus one twenty five. I bet some NFC plus three and a half. You know that. I mean, yeah. it all goes into the pot in terms of bets that I make. You know, one bet I, I I might add that I made at the South Point is they, and this is interesting. I'll ask you. What is the probability Kansas City will have the very last play from scrimmage? What would you put that yes, percent at? I would put it like yes, minus 155. Yeah, I laid minus 115 because I was, oh, wow, like, really good. I was like, you know, good chance. And I, you know what? In good theory, chance. the favorite's supposed to have the ball kneeling out at the end. Yes, and also Kansas City sure seems to have a nice four-minute drill yeah. that they can milk clock when they have the lead at the yeah. end. So the, I think they'd be more likely, if they had the lead, to be able to run out the clock versus Tampa might almost be able to run out the clock and then punt and yeah. and go ahead and... Uh, so because of that, I thought that was worth you know that was one of the bets I made against the openers at I would, 150. With a team like Kansas City, I would almost lay the money line on that same prop. And at the game money lines, 150, I almost feel like that correlated should be close to that. Oh, yeah. yeah. A- a- absolutely. And, you know, one thing, you know, we talk about parlay cards that are out there. If you can find things like, you know, team to have the final s- snap and team to win the game, that's a nice correlation, you know, yep. that sometimes you can go ahead and play. So take a look at. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what makes Super Bowls different in terms of the way the game plays out or historically – and the number one theme of Super Bowl is slow starts that we've seen. And some might say, well, that's— Especially with Brady. Especially with Brady. We say, is that a New England phenomenon or is it a Brady phenomenon? Maybe a little bit of both. Here's the actual numbers. If you just bet the second half to outscore the first half, the past 20 years, 15-4-1. and one. Wow. It's pretty powerful because for the most part, you know, the first half and the second halves are lined the same. If um, you look at in this terms of the scoring, last 20 years, first half, 20 points— Second half, uh, tw- a little bit over 27, 27 and a half. So seven and a half points. But at this point, having books adjusted for that pretty good in terms of which will be the highest scoring half, second half is going to be like minus 165. Exactly. So the books are well aware of that. Yeah. But, but, you know, one thing that I think you can get at it is in kind of like ancillary derivative markets, like live wagering, for instance, is that it's very difficult for betters to watch a – Listless first quarter where no one can score. Example, remember the Carolina-New England Super Bowl. Yeah. And say, this total's way too high. And, you know, every now and then you do have a Rams-New England Super Bowl that ends 13-3. to But for every one of those, you've got another Super Bowl that all hell breaks loose in the second half. And so because of that, I would make the case 
betting an over pre-flop on a Super Bowl, you really should wait, I think, and try to pick your points sometime in the second quarter when you're like, all right. It's, or a late first, yeah. Yeah, it's dropped It's dropped to 40 and a half. It's time. Let's go over You know, at this point in time. I think so. the Super Bowl is one of those situations where you can bet over in the first quarter because, to your point, people start watching. A, they watch a punt and a punt, and they're like, oh, man, no one's going to score. Although I don't know that there's a good defensive narrative in this game. I think it also helps if one of the teams comes in with some lock defense and then they go, see, I told you that defense. But in this case, I don't know that there's a good defensive narrative to even drive it down in in play. Yeah, in that Carolina-New England Super Bowl, scoreless at the end of the first quarter, 61 points at the end of the game. You know, Brady's teams in nine Super Bowls in the first quarter – Three points. Yeah, three total points. Three points, and I'm sure I'm sure there'll be a prop. Will Tampa Bay get a touchdown in the first quarter? And I would imagine the nose probably going to be like minus one thirty, something, you know. Yeah. Maybe minus one. Eh, you know what? Maybe minus one fifty. But the point is, on a team total, I'm sure Tampa Bay will be lined at three and a half. Same thing, essentially. It's so unlikely they get six. Not the same thing. All right. But uh, I mean, unlikely you're going to lose unless they get a touchdown. So. Uh, you know, that's something I might consider playing is the Tampa Bay team total under. So, like, when but I will say this, Tampa has come out aggressive in this playoffs to their credit. You know, one thing I was going to mention about what makes the Super Bowl different maybe for Tampa than the regular season, the playoffs. Well, Tampa's um, 14 and five now. They've won almost 75 percent of their games. Now they're the underdog. They're not supposed to win. So because but they've been the underdog the whole way in the playoffs. Yeah, but they've won the game. So so yeah. the so the bottom line is uh, other than, right other than the Washington game, the bottom line is the script was they had the lead against the Saints in the fourth quarter. They had the lead against Green Bay. You know they're up eighteen early in the third quarter. Yeah. So because of that, all things being equal, I think well maybe Leonard Fournette and the rushing game a little bit overvalued. And maybe Brady a little bit undervalued in terms of the box scores, just because they've had the lead in throughout the playoffs, and that is not likely to happen in this game. And so, because of that, I might consider all things being equal, a little more production from the passing for Tampa, less production from the running for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, Mahomes, what do you think about Mahomes' health? How did he look to you? I thought he looked fine. I mean, I, I'm not sure that he didn't run. I don't. I feel like it wasn't the fact that he was hurt as to why he didn't run the ball, but because they were, they weren't calling any runs because they're probably trying to protect him a bit, and he didn't need to run the ball. Their offense after that, mm. you know, that first couple of drives, they just kept scoring. Yeah, that's that's certainly true. Check Mahomes for me, McKenzie. I think he was five rushes for five yards. That's right. And do you remember how many were kneel downs? But going into that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that includes the kneel downs. Well, his long was nine, so he definitely had some negative kneel downs. Fair enough, and he's the he king. two at the end of the game, and he's yeah. the king at the negative. How much? I'm just curious. What were the negative kneel down yardage? Do you, For did, some reason, he just did the regular one and a half minus yards kneel downs. I don't know what if he's off brand or what's going on. With so that. if he would have if he would have done that in the Super Bowl, he would have landed on 39 instead of 29, and everybody would have won, Maddie. So I don't know. Might want to. Yeah, have U.S. integrity look into that. Well, it was the amount of time left in, yeah. you know, in the Super Bowl last right. year. Right, he needed to, exactly, he needed to burn a, a little bit extra time, yeah. you know, with that. You know, with the props just coming out right now, I can tell you we're all in the um, 
very beginning phase in terms of betting the props, but I do think there is an opportunity because you've got two such public teams, Tom Brady, Mahomes, and Kansas City. I think you're going to see some inflation on some of these players. So if you do like players like Kelsey under, players um, you know like Hill under, Mahomes under, I'd be very surprised if you didn't get your very best number at somewhere right before kickoff. That yeah. That's going to be the highest number out there. So I would wait as long as possible for those numbers at some of the square shops. And remember, these really long lines in Vegas and other states, it's hard to get a bet in. I don't know that there's going to be any long lines this year. Mm. Because here in Vegas, we have the governor's orders who limit the capacity in casinos, period. Um, as well as the hotels, so I don't. There won't nearly be as many people in the because you can't have those big parties either. You know the parties are all limited, so you're not going to have the lines at the windows that you normally do this year. What I'm more worried about is everyone's going to be on the app because you can't travel due to COVID. Because people in almost all of the major metropolitan states can't have large gatherings. Thus, they're going to be stuck home or stuck somewhere in small gatherings. That means they'll be on the app. I wonder how some of these apps are going to operate when everyone's on it because nobody's at the casino. Uh, whether it'll be <clears throat> slow or not. You know, as a guy that, like, always goes into Panera Bread and never signs up for, like, the 10% off, like, I still think there's going to be pl- plenty of people that, you know, don't have the app money and they're, they're, they're going to hit the windows. Let me know. What do you think the over-under? Let's use the south point. How deep will the lines be? the average line to half an hour before kickoff like 15 minutes long 15 how many people how many people in line like 10 10 you know what what i'll bet you the For average each window yeah i'll bet you the average is is greater than 11 is that a one how are we going to ever measure that we'll just take a picture we'll yeah but at some point there could be that doesn't mean the average just is around half than just around half an hour before we'll get we'll get somebody We'll get we'll, we'll get one of our listeners. So to the average them. amount of people in line at South Point, I think eleven is probably a little low. But normally it's like a hundred. So we're okay. I, we're so, going so directionally, 10%. you're saying it'll be that. I agree with. I just I just know there have been so many times in the Super Bowl where I've like had this great bet that's not on the app, and it'd be, I look at this and I'm like, the heck with this, and I just had home. Yeah, because you know it's a two hour line normally, but I'm, I'm telling you, it's not going to be two hour line. Yes, and. If any of the past two weeks have said anything, it's going to be drastically reduced. Everybody, I mean, if you follow like Tony Miller or any of those guys on Twitter talking about what the -the over-the-counter action has been like, they're like, it's ghost towns. Interesting. And some of it is Vegas used to be the destination for the Super Bowl, but now there's 20 states where you can legally bet on the Super Bowl. Well, now you can't travel anyway, or it's hard to travel. The the casinos have capacity limits. You can't go to a Super Bowl party because the parties have capacity limits. At the end of the day, there's going to be way more people on the app than normal and way less people in the books. Very good. And I... there's a big segment of people that just don't go out. It's COVID. Oh, I'm I'm... I'm representative of them. I'm, like, bundled up in my hazmat So what suit. they'll do today or yesterday is they go down, they put their Super Bowl money on the app, and then, yeah, they're back with the hazmat suit on in the house. Very good. Uh, we talked about how props are just coming out. Not that many out, but um, we both. I would be careful trying to get bets in on betting apps 
in the last 30 minutes in the lead up to Super Bowl. Yes, yes. And you don't want to get shut out. And who knows when? And that's always my fear, too, with contests. Like, I never want, I, I, I always make sure I submit my picks that if, my, if I drop my phone into the swimming pool, I could still hop in the car and get there yeah. if need be, except for this final week where Mackenzie saved my bacon and I owe him $450. Just add it to my tab, Mackenzie. <laughs> All right, you got it. Uh, let's, we got enough props out there. Let's have a best bet from each one of us. Let's start with you, Maddie. I'm going to go with will there be a roughing the passer penalty called in the game at no, and this opened at minus 120. That is long gone. Uh, the most recent number I saw in this one was minus 155 at South Point after opening minus 120. Look, penalties in general tend to be way down in Super Bowls. The refs don't want to be involved. They don't want to decide the Super Bowl. But especially personal foul-type penalties in Super Bowls, you just don't send, tend to see that anger and that that volatile behavior in Super Bowls. <laughs> Um, that we see in some other games. They're normally played in warm weather, too. We don't have this the cold weather issue, uh, which has been proven to create anxiety and frustration and anger. Uh, so at the end of the day, we're not likely to— and who wants to be the guy that late hit Tom Brady at 43 years old? I just—it's not likely to see one here, yet they're pricing it almost as if this was a regular season rivalry game. It's certainly not here— the market's starting to reflect it. My, but my best bet is no on there will there be a roughing the passer call. And in general, I just love the idea of how to get at penalties to not happen or to go under because I believe the average number of penalties, maybe McKenzie, you can look this up as I speak, but I think over the course of a season, maybe around 13. Um, and we see that even in the conference championship games that the penalties were down. I believe both of them went under um, double digits, under 10. And I think that a memo goes out like, hey, you guys are not the stars here. It's the players. Don't call the play. If, don't call the penalty unless it's obvious. So the average number of penalties, I think it was a point of emphasis. This year we talked about the O-line penalties and not calling the holding. We only saw just under 11 and a half over the course of this season, and certainly we would expect fewer in the Super Bowl. So all of a sudden, if we're only getting nine penalties, well, some penalties you have to call. You have to call it when there's 14 men on the field. Yeah. You have to call it when a guy jumps off sides and he's about to like clothesline the quarterback. And so the bottom line is that you've got some that you could call, you could not call it. And I do think it was a point of emphasis early in the year, hey, you know, you, it seemed like you breathed on a quarterback and you got the yellow canary flying. But Which now, led to the average for the season. But in reality, how, how many have we seen the, in the playoffs? Yeah. Just don't throw them. Exactly. And even the criticism, remember when Breeze got his 13 ribs you know, broken and finally people came along, okay, maybe that was a penalty. But when that happened, there was a lot of criticism. They shouldn't have thrown the flag on that sack. And the defensive linemen are, you know, are aware of – you know, like you said, a game of this importance, you got to go ahead and, and keep your emotions out of it. And you're certainly not going to have a, the quarterback must go down. He must go down hard like you might have with a Cleveland-Pittsburgh game during the regular season. So, I, And it's hard to get that penalty on Mahomes anyway because he's so mobile. So at the end of the day, you're not really late hitting him. He doesn't stand in the pocket. As soon as pressure comes, he ev uh, evades and avoids it and moves. So you would think it would have to come – 
against Kansas City hitting Brady late, someone's going to get a – that just seems less than likely that someone's going to go ahead and get a roughing the passer penalty against 43-year-old living legend Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. I feel pretty good about my no position there. Very good. So best bet, Matty Holt, you're going, will there be a personal foul penalty? You're saying no, and your VIG is – uh, minus 150 now. Very Moved good. Up. Very good. All right, let me do my best bet here. I'm going to go to punts. You know, I got to be honest, I didn't used to price punts, and it's become my new, like, favorite prop to look into because the way the new NFL has evolved, it used to Nobody be— Nobody punts. Nobody punts anymore. So it used to be, like, the lowest number you would see on punts would be, for an over-under, and most books wouldn't even put it up, would be, like, seven and a half. And now what's happening is books are still putting up seven halves. It seems like all these games are going under because nobody punts anymore. And specifically, the Kansas City Chiefs don't punt. So I am going under three and a half punts for the Chiefs. Let's take a look at the data on the Chiefs during their dynasty run here during the last two years in the playoffs. Five games. They have never, in those five playoff games, had more than three punts. This year, they punted zero times. They punted one time. And what I really like about this, the Chiefs have become very good at taking what the defense gives them. So although they've got the heavy hitters, specifically the Cheetah, you know, he'll um, being able to break the big play, Chiefs have a lot of really long scoring drives that um, they don't punt on, but it can eat a lot of clock. And so thus, you know, it's very dicey to play a Chief game over. But um, for them to punt one time each quarter – you're asking for an awful lot. And oftentimes, too, what happens, you get that cheap punt at the end of the game when a team just is runs. Is that what it is in the Super Bowl, seven and a half? No, I have not oh. seen it. I saw six and a half, okay. you know, and I was like, you know what? I kind of lean towards the— I was like, the, if you see a seven and a yeah. half, shoot me a text, please. I lean towards the under six and a half, and I'm like, but why am I going to play under six and a half when I can play the Chiefs under three and a half? Now, I got to lay minus 150 is the number that I saw. That's the number that I bet. Uh, but, you know, I, I really think that that is a— 70% bet. Chiefs under three and a half. Real good chance that they punt only three times or two times. You know, one interesting thing about punts, punts, when you have even in a mismatch game, no team should ever be a big favorite to punt a lot more than another team, even like in a 10-point game, because what happens is that the team that's winning big usually punts. They usually punt last. Now, the Chiefs are the one exception to the rule because they're so good you know, with that four-minute offense and driving that um, you use the Buffalo example after they punted on their first drive. That was it. No more yeah. punts. And they didn't and, – and amazingly, they didn't punt against Cleveland, even with um, their backup quarterback in. Well, we all remember the fourth and one play. Yeah. Yeah. And so you got Andy Reid, who understands the need to be aggressive in today's NFL. So everything points to fewer punts, and I think fewer Kansas City punts. I'm going to go under three and a half punts. You know, go ahead and grade me minus $1.60 just to, uh, to be safe on that. So uh, best bets from Matty Holt, best bet from myself. Um, you know, before we conclude, uh, anything I'm missing here? Anything you anything you'd like to talk about in your own Super Bowl betting and prop betting? No, and I think the good news is we're going to get a week to digest all of this, and then come back and do it again next week. After you know everything just opened, we're in that mad rush to hit these numbers that we think are off. But I think you know after a week of digesting it, you're no longer trying to hit those bad openers anymore. Now you're trying to really 
handicap the game, handicap the situation, what props correlate with what. So I think it'll be an interesting pod next week. That is a great summary. Basically, this week I'm looking to bet mistakes. I'm looking to bet numbers that are just wrong that the sports books put up like your will there be a personal foul penalty. Next week, really dive into it, do the actual handicapping, and price out what I think gets got va- uh, the valuations are incorrect on, and we will have a much deeper dive into the Super Bowl and all the prop bets associated with it in next week's podcast. I want to thank all the listeners out there, all the loyal listeners, uh, for you know staying with us throughout the course of the year and uh you know it's really exciting super bowl time so real good opportunity to make money but i want to emphasize to everyone it is just one game it's fine to bet a whole lot more on this game on the props and the like but i would caution anyone who's about to make their biggest bet on Kansas City or on Tampa Bay to think that this is the game that's misaligned the most or be one of the most misaligned games. Now, that can happen when you have a public side. I think like back when like Green Bay was um, like a 12-point favorite against Denver. You know, So every now and then you do have Super Bowls like that, but those are few and far between. And so for the most side, I would really encourage all the listeners that want to make money and profit on the game to really focus on the props. So thank you to Matthew Holt. Thank you. RJ will be back next week and we will do the deep dive Super Bowl podcast then. We're out.